Well, it's a great question. Are you happy? And most of the time we base our answer on things like this. You know, I feel pretty good today. You know, the rain wasn't too bad when I walked into church. I didn't get all wet. You know, the kids were pretty cooperative today. It was better than usual. And I'm here, you know, and I'm pretty healthy. So, yeah, I would say, yeah, I'm happy. What if today is your 40th birthday, Lee? Are you happy? <laughs> right? You're happy, right? Happy birthday, Lee. Um, you know, we base our definitions and, and our mood of happiness based upon how things are going. We do that. Maybe you've had a bad morning and you don't feel happy at all. Maybe you say, bad morning? I've had a bad life. I mean, everything has gone wrong. You know, and you say Jesus is supposed to like, give you life and give you abundant life, and I don't really feel so happy. Let's be honest. So as we think about this idea of happiness, we have to be careful that we define it correctly because the world wants to define happiness as simply an emotional response to an outcome. An emotional response to an outcome. And that can swing so much because we're always in situations where we have expectations and hope. I think of a, a, in my own uh, life when I was in ninth grade, I played on the JV basketball team, but I was uh, at the beginning of the season, I was asked to dress for varsity with the expectation that I would not play. And so JV would happen right before the varsity game, the end of the JV game, and we were down by uh, one point. I was the point guard on the team, and I drove into the basket as time was expiring and was fouled. I go to the free throw line for two shots, make the first one, pressure's off, make the second one, game over, we win, all right? JV, we won. I'm like the hero, okay? So everybody's high-fiving, clapping, they're excited for me, I'm excited, I feel good, really, really happy. So I dress out for varsity, do warm-ups, go down and sit at the end of the bench, expecting not to play, sitting there enjoying my happiness from the previous game. Well, the team, the varsity team we're playing, they're pressing us. I mean, it's, it's horrible. I mean, we get, can't even hardly get the ball in bounds, can't get it past half court. It's just, I mean, it's just imploding. The game is just horrible. And our best player, Richie Skeen, averaged about 36 points a game, and the rest of the players only averaged about 12 or 14, all right? So he was the, the, the vast scorer of our team. And the coach, and I don't know why, the coach looks down the bench all the way past all the other guys to me at the very end, and he says, Woodrum, go in for Skeens. I was like, what? Woodrum in for Skeens, all right, I'm at the end of the bench, he's our best player. I panic, and I say, coach, I'm not really feeling so well. <laughs> he rolls his eyes and yells at somebody else to go in. I go from being hero and happy to being goat and disappointed. The coach is disappointed with me. I'm disappointed with myself. You see, happiness can fluctuate so greatly. Success, happiness. Failure, sadness. Winning, happy. Losing, sad. Acquiring the things that you want, happy. When we don't get the things that we desire, sad or disappointed. We expect something, and when that doesn't come about the way that we expected it, we're not happy. Is happiness completely reliant upon results? Is it dependent only upon the results that we get? 
And I wanted to, just to help illustrate this because I, went, I thought this was like the perfect illustration for to remember that happiness is not based upon your circumstances. Maybe you have a stress ball at home. These are like the smallest stress balls ever, but I got like 50 for like $4 on Amazon. All right, so, and, and, and so they have a little happy face on it, but so many, so many times we based our, our happiness based on such superficial, circumstantial things, all right? It does. Who, who's feeling a little stressed? Needs a squeeze. Here you go, Jerry. There you go, y'all. Sit on the front row. You get, you, know, you, you get to enjoy that while we preach. But I want, to, I want you to remember this, and I may give everybody one next week, all right? So I want you to remember that this is not the happiness that the Bible talks about. It's not the Scripture's definition of happiness, because happiness doesn't come from circumstances, wins, and losses. In Philippians chapter 4, as Chip alluded to and talked about one of my verses we're going to talk about today. That's good. He set it up. But we're going to also look at chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. If you're following along with in the app, that's great as well. All the Scripture is there for you, as well as some bonus material, some books that you can download. I try to put some extra content there to encourage you to use the app as well. So we're going to look at verses 4 through 7 of chapter 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord. What's the word next? Always. And again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray, and we'll talk about this passage. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that doesn't just tell us things that are interesting or practical, but God, you give us foundational truth to build our life upon. And God, as we were reminded in our marriage classes just a minute ago, that it's not about us. And God, I pray that you'll help us to remember that in every aspect of our life. And as we even sang in the song that the life exchanged for ours, your life for our life. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you and the enduring hope that lasts forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ella Pritchard, author of a book called Reclaiming Joy, A Primer for Widows, writes this, Whenever I am discouraged or depressed, I reread Philippians. I read it in the early morning hours after Levi died, and over and over again in the weeks that followed. Paul's letter showed me the way to survive the holidays that first year as a widow, and it is reminding me again this year. How can one rejoice in the face of so much loss? This year has tested my faith, my ability to rejoice in the Lord always, like nothing I've ever faced. I have to be very intentional in seeking joy. The Apostle Paul assures us that we can reclaim joy regardless of how bad our circumstances may be. His short letter to the Philippians provides a roadmap for moving from loss to joy. You know, we have all have an inborn desire for joy. We do. It's universal. I was on staff with a person at one point where I think it was her life mission to remind us that happiness and joy were not the same thing. And I think I bought into that at, a, at one point as well, thinking that happiness is this 
superficial emotion and joy is something that's much deeper. And she pointed that out a lot. But I think that's wrong. And I'm going to explain why I think it's wrong. I think God does desire for us to be happy. And maybe our definition of happiness is incorrect. In fact, maybe our understanding of joy and happiness are altogether wrong. I mean, happiness, our mindset is it's a bubbly, superficial, circumstantial feeling that comes and goes, whereas joy is this deep-seated and enduring affection that just lasts forever. But we can't redefine words, and I go to even the English dictionary, Webster's, where you'll see that basically they're synonymous. The, the, The term happiness and joy are, for the most part, just practically the same thing. But I'm not going to stake my life on what Webster thinks about happiness. I'm going to go to the Scriptures and see what they have to say about this. And then the Scriptures show us there's really no difference between happiness and joy. Remember last week I talked about Net Bible and a great resource? Well, if you go to Net Bible, go to the next screen for us. If you go to Net Bible and you pull up the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Then easily, you don't have to be a scholar to see that this Greek word and what it means. And then you have the great advantage of clicking on that word, and it will take you to all the uses of that word in the New Testament or the Old Testament. But the New Testament is written in Greek, and so we see there's 57 occurrences of this word in the New Testament. And I want to just read you the first six that came up on my search, and they'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. John 15, 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Well, that one could go either way, right? Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, who were they talking about there? The shepherds, when they saw the star, they shouted what? Joyfully. They shouted joyfully. This isn't some deep-seated, non-emotional thing. They were excited. They shouted joyfully. Luke 24.52, so they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Acts 8.8, so there was great joy in that city. Acts 13.52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians 2.20, for you are our glory and joy. These are just the first six that come up. We could do this the whole list. You get the idea. Joy and happiness are interchangeable. At one point, it's the shepherds joyfully shouting, in another place, it is this more, seems like this more subdued sort of discontentment and fulfillment. But Paul is writing to us, and I think he's worth trusting on this. He's in chains. He's in prison. Although it is under house arrest at this point, nevertheless, he's under the imminent threat of being executed for his faith. And he's being supervised continually by a guard, and he can write these words and really the primer, as the lady said, on this issue of joy. And I'll go to, back to Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's not if things are good, rejoice. If things are falling your way, if things are working out, if financially things are pretty good for you. It says, if, it says to rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. God wants our lives characterized by joy and rejoicing regardless of what we're going through. Why does God want that? Why does God want us to characterize our life by joy and rejoicing? Because our whole purpose in life, what are we here for? I'll go to the verse that Chip referred to, Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Chip said. Our purpose is to live for Christ, to magnify Jesus Christ in our life. And if you're miserable, if you're unhappy, if you're always sulking and disappointed and grouchy, I can't imagine really Jesus getting much glory out of that life. Now, this is definitely not putting a fake smile on your face. This is not pretending like things are better than what they really are. That's not what we're talking about. You know, one of the, I think, the, the greatest, well, the greatest tragedies, for sure, of COVID-19 and all the things we're going through is definitely those of you who've known people or have had extended family or even family who have lost their life, for sure, far and away. People even in this church who have had covid who now have health complications as a result of that. And many people are fearful. They have much anxiety during this time. Am I going to get it? Or whatever. And I'm, this is not any kind of political statement whatsoever about masks. If Walmart tells me to wear a mask, maybe you're different. This is me. I wear a mask. If Home Depot tells me to wear a mask, I wear a mask. But I think one of the things that disappoints me most about masks is the fact that you can't see people's expressions and smiles anymore. You know, you kind of just see people, and from here up, it's hard to really gauge a smile. And I, I bought this mask as an illustration because, and, and one of my kids said, you, you got to wear this, Dad. This is great, right? So is this, wow, it's loud. Is, is this what we're talking about here with happiness? That I'm going through all this junk, and I don't feel very good about it. It's tough. It's difficult. But I'm supposed to magnify Jesus, and so therefore I'm going to, Put a smile on my face to make people see Jesus. Well, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't need your help to show how great he is. It's a privilege for us to be able to represent him. And I truly believe that the more we fall in love with Jesus, and as I, we're going to look at some other passages, the more that we see all that God has done for us in Christ, the more that it will honestly and truly change our whole outlook on situations that we face, even in the middle of the situation. But I want to be sure, because there's so many of you who are dealing with so much more than I can ever imagine, so much more than I've gone through, and so I'm not asking you to be fake. I'm not asking you to try to do something that God's not asking you to do. I think what the best way to define what I'm trying to see through happiness is what Randy Alcorn, who I'm going to refer to a lot in this series, what he writes and follow along on the screen. This will be on the screen for you because it's such a good quote and it's kind of long. He says, don't misunderstand me. I'm no stranger to an unhappiness. In this world, under the curse of evil and suffering, something would be wrong if I were. I've experienced illness, adversity, loss, depression, and discouragement. I'm not naturally sanguine, perky, or bubbly. But by God's grace, as the years have passed, I've ex what I've experienced is a more constant, heart-filled gladness and delight in Christ. True happiness, the kind God wants for us, is not a pasting, pasting on a false smile in the midst of heartache. It's discovering a reasonable, attainable delight in Christ that transcends difficult, difficult circumstances. This desire is obtainable because it's built on God's all-encompassing so sovereignty, love, goodness, grace, gladness, and redemptive purposes in our lives. Until Christ completely cures us and this world, our happiness will be punctuated by times of great sorrow, 
But that doesn't mean we can't be predominantly happy in Christ. That's a great quote and a great reminder. So again, this series is not about denying reality. It's not about denying the battle that you're fighting with sin right now. It's not denying the issue that you're dealing with in your family, your home, or your spouse. It's not denying the reality of cancers and COVID. But what it is doing is saying that happiness is about where we place our hope. Happiness is about where we place our hope. And for Paul, he made it clear, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I think the heart of our problem is that we expect these temporary things that we put all our hope in to deliver lasting happiness. And Paul says, as long as I'm here on earth, I'm all in for Jesus. That's what I'm about. I'm all in for Jesus. And, and, and hold on, you think that you can kill me and that will some way harm me? I get more of what I want, which is more Jesus in death. So he says, for me to live is to magnify Jesus, to love Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and glorify God through Jesus. And if you take my life, I'm laying here. I, this is not some in theory. He's not in a classroom saying this stuff. He's in the midst of it. And he says, for me to die, you take my life, you're just giving me more of what I want anyway, more Jesus. And so we move toward happiness as we continually place our hope in Jesus. We need to remember that. We move toward happiness as we continually place our hope in Jesus. Happiness comes when we are aware of God's grace to us in Christ, and we just marinate in that. We just sit in that. And I want us to turn to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to camp out here for the, most, uh, for the rest of the time. Romans chapter 5. Again, Apostle Paul, he's writing, and this time to the church at Rome, and he says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right here is the foundation for our happiness. It's the foundation of why, when we put our hope in Jesus, why we can find happiness. Is because, he says, therefore, and all the stuff that he's been laying out previous to this, especially in chapters 3 and 4, that we've been justified by faith alone. He's been making this argument, but now he brings it down and he summarizes it in seven words, since we have been justified by faith. As a result of this incredible justification, God declaring us righteous in Christ, being made right with Christ, now we have this new reality. And what's he say? He says this new reality is we have peace with God. Don't miss that. Don't make that just some super spiritual, philosophical thing. Because it's not. Hear me. We have to fight for this to be real in our lives because we are human and we have the flesh and we only want to see what's three feet in front of us most of the time. But the truth is, Paul says, that we have peace with God. We have that through faith, not by my works, not by my efforts, but because Christ and Christ alone died on my behalf, I now have peace with God. It's amazing what you have. And the bad thing is that so many people of other religions, they get this turned around and they make it about live as you ought and God will accept you. And it's all about my efforts to earn peace with God. I need to do these things to appease whatever God out, out there that I believe in. But the true God, the God of the Bible, and Jesus Christ, Christianity says to you, you receive God's acceptance and blessing 
as a free gift of faith on the basis of Jesus and his record, and then you're able to live the way that you ought to live. What a big difference. You can't have peace with God apart from Jesus Christ. And not just a superficial belief in Jesus Christ. It's a belief, it's a robust belief that realizes that he's done it all. And for those of you who have heard the gospel so many times, it's easy to miss the significance of this. But this is the foundation for your happiness and joy, and there's no way around it, and we can't skip past this. Everything else is just self-help. It's behavior modification. It's making your mind believe something. Nothing besides the foundation that you're at peace with God can give you happiness, a foundation for happiness. And if you skip down to verse 9, if you're following along, it's going to be on the screen. He says, Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You see, this is why peace, of, peace with God is so important, because by default, get that, by default, you're born under God's wrath. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one can be sinless. Nobody could declare, I've done enough to merit God, if they understand anything about the God of the Bible, the true God, that he's holy, unapproachable. And the fact that Jesus came and he appeases the wrath of God. And you, through faith in Jesus, can have peace with God. And apart from Jesus, every human is under God's wrath. There's no neutrality. Okay, there's no neutrality. You don't look and say, you know, I know that, that guy, he, he doesn't believe in Jesus, but he's such a good guy. He, he does so many good works. You know, maybe God will just, you know, grandfather him into it or allow him to have salvation. I'm sorry. It's not the way it works. Because you're under God's wrath and you need a Savior. You need Jesus. And so constantly remembering and adjusting our lives to this amazing and eternal peace with God is the foundation for happiness. Let's make that really, really practical. As you live your life, you remember the gospel. You remember why constantly you have peace with God. And you adjust your life again and again to that truth. And in that, you have a foundation for happiness. You adjust your life. You say, God, I have been putting my focus on your good gifts rather upon you. I've been putting my focus on just busyness and, and doing things and thinking my religion and my church attendance is all that you're after. And I've not been focused upon you, Jesus. And I'll admit that. And we remember the truth and we adjust our lives to match that truth. Remembering and adjusting. I mean, truthfully, that's the whole Christian life. Remembering the gospel, adjusting our lives to the gospel. And that's the main foundation. That's a central foundation for happiness. And the main battles in this life are battles to believe all that God has done for us in Christ and then adjust to that. So the question is, do you really, honestly, I mean, do you believe that? Obviously, our faith like our sanctification, it's, it's part of the sanctification process. And, and it grows over time. The more that Jesus shows himself faithful, the more we put our trust and faith in him. But unfortunately, I think that most of the time, 
we spend the majority of our lives running after our dreams, our goals, which we know always disappoint, always let us down. We know that from experience. And God keeps reminding us, and he keeps pursuing his children saying, look to me, my word is true, have faith in me. And so I ask you honestly, if you don't have the faith to see how awesome and great it is to have peace with God because of Jesus, I honestly, this is not preacher talk, this is real. We need to plead with God to give us a bigger view of the gospel. We need to be praying daily, seeking him. God, I need more of you. I need to know your greatness more. Or we can be apathetic and think we're good, and we continue to run down the path we're going, and we think, why am I not happy? Why do I not feel fulfilled? Why do things always seem never to work out, and I always still have the same gloominess about my life? Because it's about us. It's about me tacking on a little bit of Jesus into my life, and then I want to be happy about it, but when it falls and it fails we fail to see what the real problem is. The foundation is not Jesus. The foundation is our desires with a little Jesus tacked in there, added on. And so Paul says, back in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 2. Through him we have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. We're standing in it. We're firm in it. And what's the outcome of this? And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope. There's the joy. We rejoice in it. We understand it. We realize it. We bank our lives on it. We stand firm in it, and we rejoice in it. And so it doesn't become fake, and it's not plastering a smile on. It's not coming up with some kind of gimmick in order to make us feel better and be happy. It honestly and truly is a result of a heart that's so in tune with God, as both of the authors I referred to earlier said, that over time we find greater fulfillment and greater joy. But it's amazing to me the number of people I talk to and deal with who are constantly struggling with happiness and joy in their life. And, and oftentimes I'll just ask, how's your times with God? Are you spending t- is God a priority? Are you spending time with him? Well, you know, a couple times last week, you know, I've tried, you know, did a little bit better. And there's no consistency in meeting with your creator, getting his perspective on life, soaking in his word, marinating in the gospel. It's just I get up, maybe throw a few verses in there if I can, If I have time, it's an afterthought. You need your faith to be rooted and grounded in Jesus. And you have to remind yourself of the gospel every single day. And when we do that, the rejoicing just happens. I've used this illustration before, and I even recall Jeff Dowdy using a similar illustration when he spoke. But when I fell in love with running, 
Nobody had to convince me or pride me. Michelle didn't go, hey, go tell people about running. It, you know, it'd be so good for you to tell people about running because it would help their, you know, it encourage their health. They get out and exercise and feel better about themselves. You need to go do that today. Well, come on, you know, I, I don't know. No, it just, it just flowed out of me. I mean, I was running 40, 50 miles a week. It was a huge part of my life. How could I not talk about that, right? You're like, how's your morning going? Yeah, pretty good. I did a 10 miler this morning. What? You did 10 miles? Whoa, that's crazy. You must love running. You're right. Why would I do it if I didn't love it, right? I love the effect of it. I love how it makes me feel. I talked about it. Seems obvious. I would dare say, if your life is not generally characterized by delight in Christ, happiness and joy in Christ, you're probably not running the spiritual 10 milers. You're probably not going to the track spiritually and doing the speed work. You probably don't look at your schedule and say, what's, what's for me this week? What am I supposed to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? You see, when Jesus is where he's supposed to be in your life, it just flows. Sure. Sure. Just like to stay with the running analogy, there were days when I woke up and didn't feel so good. I felt awful some days. But it doesn't affect my long-term joy in running. It might affect my temperament and emotions that day. Are you delighting in Jesus? The same, back to kind of my net Bible thing again, the same idea, the same word, rejoice, is the same word, get this, don't miss this and we're done. The same word, rejoice, is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 1, 31, where he says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When we rejoice, when we're happy and joyful in God, we boast in Jesus. We boast in him. And it just happens. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is great. And so we move toward happiness as we boast in Jesus. And, and, and the reverse is true. As we're more delighting in Jesus, the more we'll boast in Jesus. And so we boast in Jesus and we're happy. We move toward happiness as we're boasting. And so when we begin to boast in Jesus as a result of who he is. And look, you don't have to work yourself up to this because Jesus is awesome already, whether you feel it or not. So you can boast in Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. He gave me peace with God. He can give you peace with God. God's wrath doesn't have to be upon you. But see, we're so wired with this idea of emotions, and it has to be emotional, that we, we, we have a hard time thinking about, I can boast in Jesus even if I'm not feeling it. And it's, again, it's not fake, but behavior elicits emotions. Think about it for a second. Think about if you, if you love your wife or you love your husband's spouses, you kiss them, right? You kiss them. And then if you're mad at them, do you kiss them when you're mad usually? I'm mad at you. No, I'm not going to kiss you. I'm, I'm mad at you. All right, that's the way we think. But the truth is that sometimes... We, we, even when we don't feel it, we know that the truth is there, and we kiss our spouse, and the emotions follow. And so this is not a clear pathway of just logical one thing or another. Those who are wired that way. 
Boast in Jesus. Delight in Jesus. Fill your life with Jesus. Make your life all about Jesus. And the gospel is the foundation for that. So don't wait until you feel like boasting in Jesus to boast in Jesus. The, the, the timeless, universal truth of the gospel is worth boasting about whether you feel it or not. So if you're going to boast, he says, boast in Jesus. Boast that you know Jesus. So let's finish with our application here. The head. It's about learning, right? We've learned something. Our salvation, our peace with God is the foundation for real and lasting happiness. We got to have that part. We, we got to know the head part. It's the, it's the foundation. Our peace with God is the foundation. And then the heart aspect. What's God saying? What's he speaking to us on? And he says, we move toward happiness as we continually place our hope in Jesus. We move toward happiness as we continually place our hope in Jesus. And then we're not just hearers of the word, we're doers of the word. We do it. We do the word. And so we intentionally boast in Jesus. And let's do that today. Let's, let's just say to ourselves, we're going to boast in Jesus sometime today. It might be to my child when I say, you know, I don't always show it, but man, I love Jesus. Or maybe you're not quite to that point where you can be that bold. Maybe you say, you, say, you know, let's pray before this meal. And you say, God, I, I sincerely thank you for Jesus. Because without him, I have no hope. In Jesus' name, amen. And your child looks at you and they're like, something's different there. Or maybe it's the restaurant. And just God puts the right server in your path today and the time is right. And you just say, man, you know, I don't go to church because it's the thing to do. I, I go to church because I love Jesus. So many opportunities today to boast in Jesus. So the foundation for happiness is what? It's the gospel. It's our peace with God given to us by Jesus. And what do we do? We, we know our hearts move to that as we continually place more and more hope in Jesus. The more hope we place in Jesus, the more our hearts follow what we know to be true in our mind. And then we do it. We just do what God has told us to do. Boast in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you desire for us to be happy because we magnify you when we can say like Paul that we rejoice in the Lord always. Again, he says rejoice. And God, I pray that you will allow us as people who bear your name, those who carry the name of Jesus with us, to be all about you, Jesus. Help us to boast in you, delight in you, Sacrifice our time for you. God, help us to really know you and make you known. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.